Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, that's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call. Welcome back to the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast. Hey, I wanted to apologize for our brief hiatus we had stuff to do. Randy actually has a job. Uh, he does this out of his charity uh, for me and the listeners. Also, he needs this. He needs to have occasional man talk in a house full of children and, and women. And uh, yeah, sports sports escape for sure. Definitely. That's right. And then also, uh, I was in Rocky Mountain National Park with my son, doing a bunch of hiking and uh, nearly fishing. We uh, tried to rent some fly fishing equipment and. It was freaking all sold out. So we didn't get to go fly fish up in one of those mountain lakes. It's, I'll tell you what, it's actually cheating, Randy, because you go up there, but the trout are freaking voracious because even though there's plenty of bugs and food, they're just after it because they their body clocks tell them that there's a long winter coming, right? And you just put something in the water and they attack it. So if you run into a Colorado fly fisherman who's bragging about the cutthroat trout he caught, uh, it's not from any basis of skill. It's like a guy in Alaska bragging about catching salmon during the salmon run. That, that, I was going to say, a, co- a co-worker's husband's in Alaska right now, and that's what he's doing. He went halibut fishing one day, and they're doing salmon the next day. I was like, how's that work? He goes, it's actually cheating right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you've ever gone and caught like striper in a Texas lake, uh, if you just basically sit on top of the striper using your sonar on your boat, and you just put something out put your finger in there. It's going to get They'll attacked by a large mouth bass. So, uh, by the way, doing that once, uh, I, I saw a baby duckling get taken by a, a large mouth bass. Really? That's yeah. I'd, I'd never seen that before. It's pretty amazing. There That's you cool. go. Uh, fly fishing up in the Colorado area, Wyoming area is definitely on the bucket list of things that I'd like to do one day. It seems like a really, really nice experience. Well, I know a guy up here that uh, you're welcome to crash with and go do it with. Yeah, but you can't get fly, fly fishing equipment. So. Yeah, that's right. I'm gonna probably. <laughs> I'm on a do not fly uh, fly fish list, just like the do not fly list. In the stream. I don't want to just come stand in the stream. <laughs> you, you, well, that's the only way you can pee. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, you've heard of the do not fly list. I'm on the do not fly fish list. Yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm, and, uh, not this guy. No way. Colorado Parks and Recreation. By the way, the freaking um, wildlife in Rocky Mountain National Park, it's off the chain. Like moose, elk, marmots, very underrated cute creature if you are in close vicinity of a marmot, Randy. I would, I would need a quick Wikipedia search on that one. I'm not, it's, not familiar. It, it's like a, a fat like, groundhog. A big squirrel. They actually, they are. They're they're the largest member of the squirrel family, and you don't think of them as squirrels because they're about fifteen pounds. 
but uh, and they're kind of fat and cute. Uh, kind of like you don't think of killer whales as being dolphins, right? True. They're the biggest member of the dolphin family. Apex predator to the ocean, Randy. There is no equal. Uh, there's, all right. some, there's some there's something down there that's an equal. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> someone's been watching uh, oh. freaking late night Cinemax monster movies. Is there something yeah, oh. down there? there? There's something. There's there are things out there that are that's an equal. I promise. All right, all right. There's I don't want to see it though. He's a Randy believes in the Leviathan, or he's there's a megalodon still running around. Just oh, like yeah, one definitely. megalodon left. All right. Well, there's a a megalodon that's been going on this summer in terms of recruiting. Uh, Texas has been doing well. I wanted to run this by you because people make a big deal about what they're calling what's going to be the big two of college football, right? It's basically the SEC and the Big Ten. And some people are saying, well, that's overdone and blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, it's belly button gazing and navel gazing and and, uh, self-congratulatory. Let me run this by you. Looking at the on three current recruiting rankings and Mind you, this is July 20th, but there's several schools that already have their full recruiting class effectively committed. Um, in the top 20 schools, Randy, there are 11 SEC schools in the top 20. There's only, and I'm, I'm including Texas and Oklahoma as in next year's SEC. Right, yes. Uh, and I'll also include USC and UCLA as in next year's Big, Big Ten. Ten. So there's 11 SEC schools in the top 20 of the on three recruiting rankings. There's only 16 SEC schools, Randy, mind you. Um, there's four Big Ten schools, which I bet, I bet you can guess. More than likely. And then there's five other. You want to guess that? what the others are? Well, I was about to say, let's guess the others because that would okay. be the hard one. Guess the others. I'm putting you on Clemson? the spot. Correct. Florida You're one State? for one. You're two for two. Tech. Georgia Tech? No. Texas Tech? Yes. Or any techs. (laughs) Virginia Tech. Yeah. Caltech. Um, I was just throwing an off the wall one out there. That's a fail. You're two out of three. All right. You got a one and two count. One ball, two strikes, Randy. Miami? Correct. You you just struck out a batter. All right. You got Two three pitches. out of five. Three out of five. I'm blanking on them now. Mm. Nike. Oregon. There you go. And then I'm what is the most my way to the West Coast? What's the most hallowed name in all of football oh, Notre Dame. history? There you go. All right. So those are your other With five. You've got three ACC schools, a random pack, and an independent school. Of those ACC, I don't know if people know this, but the ACC is about to break up as well. Oh, 100%. Uh, 100%. Haves and have-nots. So uh, that's the other five sprinkled around. The Big Ten, it's USC, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, as you'd expect. Yep. The SEC, Randy, freaking... The one's not in it. It'd be easier. Great question. So... Vandy, Kentucky. Vandy and Kentucky. And by the way, Kentucky could finish in the top 20. So could Old Miss. They're not in the top... They're not represented on this list. If Lane Kiffin gets out of the bar... Did you see him today? Yeah, he's awesome. Oh, it's awesome. Do you see him just constantly subtweeting people and talking yeah, shit on Twitter? I love the guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I find he's, him. A, 
Yeah, he's a love him or hate him guy, and I love him. I, I think he's absolutely hilarious. He I actually people. also think I think he's also a guy that you would like to hang out with. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, he uh, he just rolled into SEC Media Days in a finely pressed suit and hadn't combed his hair in a week. <laughs> <laughs> like suntan right off the beach, hadn't combed my hair, probably two thousand dollar suit. Yeah, so listen to these three SEC schools in the top 20. Arkansas, South Carolina, yep. Auburn. Well, Auburn's not surprising, but you know, I know no, they're kind of South Carolina is pretty surprising, but Beamer's kind of got that thing rolling pretty good yeah. right now. Old Miss is 28 and Mississippi State's 29. And both it's quite capable of finishing coast, the yeah. top 20. Is is so this not four? So who's the other one? I mean, Missouri? Was, uh yes, Missouri's out of it. Uh, so that's, unless that's unless they spot. land Trey Wingo, I don't think they're going to crack any anything anytime no. soon. Um, and I'm looking at the Big 12 schools; they're in the 40s and 50s. I mean, the vast majority of the, the remaining. Like, I, I had no idea where where Tech was, but that would have been the only one in the Big 12 that I would have given any chance to. You know, Coach Prime at Colorado currently ranked 51st. It's not really surprising, I don't think. Not quite. Tearing it up. I guess the pink slips didn't uh, yeah, tie up with some of the recruits out there. I don't know how that experience experiment is going to go. Yeah. So, hey, the, Texas did get a commitment from DeAndre Robinson. Randy and I aren't going to pretend to like delve too deeply into recruiting here. But in terms of a macro view, it's, it's surprising and not surprising how dominant the landscape is for the, the Big Ten and obviously to a greater extent the SEC. It's just when... 15 of the top 20 and then something like 20 of the top 35 are two conferences. It's haves and have nots. hundred percent. It is. It's, I mean, and the gap's only going to get wider and wider. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, are you, do you have any concerns about Texas's recruiting class? No, not really. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, they're, they're pretty selective right now. I feel like, but most of the people that they're, targeting and honing in on they're getting so if you take yeah. that approach and that's how it works out then you're good i guess you could say maybe it's a little concerning if they don't land those guys like where where are you with the next guy yeah. um but hopefully we don't have to find out yeah yeah i, I think uh it's on the, the, i think the they're big on track. recruiting to me is the is the key that that's shifted over the last few years because you know i mean the herman recruiting classes of you know the three stars i mean the the three overall but nine of them are safeties and 12 of them are wide receivers. Doesn't really help you a whole lot. Yeah. Well, then periodically Texas would do these classes of beef. Yep. Which if you've followed recruiting at Texas, the only class of beef that I've really seen work out is the one we just took with yeah, it hadn't, Kelvin yeah, Banks and all those guys. I mean, maybe back when I was around the, you know, the Vince Young glory days, some of those, but, but even those classes, I mean, you had some, you know, some pretty big misses. Tight ends ended up being your best tackles and, and yep. stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I can't remember a time where you, know, you bring in four or five, six guys and all of them seem like they're going to pan out. Yeah, I, I always felt like the O-line class of beef thing. And we've had D-line class of beef versions. If you go back, there was a Charlie yes. Strong class that was disastrous. I mean, yeah, no, hit on like nobody. Hit on nobody. And the guys that could play were academic or character issues. The guys that yep. weren't academic or character issues could not play the game at all. And somehow a bunch of these dudes got bumped to 
like low four stars. And so everyone was thrilled when they closed signing day, you know, signing a bunch of these guys, but it was just, it was an illusion. It was a mirage. Yeah. I mean, and it's like we talked about too. I mean, some of the guys, I mean, all of the guys that we're signing are, you know, highly ranked guys, but the guys that aren't, like we said, you look at the offer list and it's, you know, something's not adding up here because when you have, when you're in that company and those guys are vying for, for that player, it doesn't really matter what he's ranked in my opinion. If, you're looking at the Bama's, Ohio State's of the world, and and you're fending those off and winning for a three star or whatever it is. They're seeing something. It's like the uh, Morgan Scally offer. Yep. Like if if Utah picks out somebody in the secondary or the linebacker class, you probably should pay attention. Yes, one hundred percent. Used to be like that with TCU and Gary Patterson yep. was on the top of his game. If he liked a corner, a safety or a linebacker or a high school quarterback who was 6'2", 220. Seem, right. That didn't <laughs> and, seem destined to play quarterback. Yeah. And, and couldn't really throw, but he rushed for 1,400 yards and, like, you know, was described as gritty and tough. You're like, well, there's their future middle linebacker. Right. Uh, he's going to put on 25 pounds and terrorize the Big 12 for three years. Uh, hey, I, I, have you ever read the Bruce Feldman book, Meat Market? I have, yes. So very, I re- Very interesting I, deal. That was... Oh, kind of a, I don't know. That was one of the books that I don't know if it was really what I expected it to be yeah. when I bought it to read it. It was, it was very interesting though. Yeah, I absolutely. First of all, because Ed Orgeron was a, a character. Yes. But he's an interesting guy because in some ways he's the most competent person within his sphere of expertise, which is recruiting and evaluating particularly defensive linemen. But uh, a lot of other positions too. He really got it at a visceral level, and then in other areas, completely, uh, completely a wreck, a train wreck, and incompetent. Right. right. Can we can we talk about something with Ed Ogeron real quick? That's Bring just it. Absolutely mind blowing about modern day media. Ed Orgeron would be interested in the Northwestern job yes. if they offered it to him. Was yes. a headline that actually happened in the year of our Lord, twenty twenty three. I, I was driving down the road and I almost had to pull off to the side laughing. Like, can you imagine? Like, zero chance that that guy, he can't spell Northwestern. We, like, we go to get a lot of good student athletes up here at Northwestern. We have one of the finest uh, journalism schools, I mean, business schools. The guy's got a national championship. On the shores here at Lake great Michigan. recruiter, don't get me wrong, but zero chance that that happens in any universe (laughs) he has a better chance of being hired at the university of chicago than than northwestern i don't know who his agent knows that he got them to float that thing out there but my goodness it's like anyway sorry yeah no no, that's it's amazing it's like george will interested in astro's job Right. right? Yeah. It's like, like yeah, I, I can't remember who it was, whatever radio show it was. The guy's like, yeah, I'm interested too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very interested in Megan Fox. I don't think, I don't think that matters. Right. I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't think uh, that has any relevance to her life. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. I would, weird. I would love to see it though. How it would be entertaining. Be. I'll give them that. If they want some notoriety, uh, no press is bad press or uh, no uh, bad Whatever it's saying, I'm so <laughs> well flustered said. by the thought of Ed Orgeron <laughs> walking sidelines at Northwestern. I can't even think straight. <laughs> Any press is good. Any press. press is good press. There you That's go. That's good. 
There you go. <laughs> yeah, Randy's shook. I'm, he's just, such a calm, laid-back uh, guy. Man, he's I shook just, right now. He loves it. Oh, it drove me crazy. I'd like, freaking man, kill. You talk about I'd the media machine trying something, to, just desperately clawing for something to take traction. It, I'd, I'd kill to see him on the sideline at Northwestern. Yeah, I mean, you know they're just floating it out there to get his name back out there. And, of course. You know, whatever, but goodness gracious, like, wait for the next job to open. <laughs> like, hey, some I, I do want to put a it. pen. I want to put a pin in that Northwestern – uh, job yeah. opening because yeah. before that, the reason I brought up meat market, I'm glad you read it is I actually reread it recently and super interesting kind of knowing now what we know became of some of these players, right? Yes. And one of the guys he was obsessed with, who was a low four star, high three star. People forget this was a guy from Texas who was an edge player named Von Miller. and he was considered a little stiff. I don't know if you know this. This is like the rap on him. Um, Ed Orgeron was like, no, no, this guy's an absolute stud, surefire NFL player. We got to get in on his recruitment, you know. And, and of course, Ole Miss just couldn't get in on that recruitment at all. He ended up going to AM. And of course, he became Von Miller. But the other guy, here's, here's a, a Orgeron, a rare Orgeron miss. He was giving Art Kehoe, who was the old Miami offensive line coach, who ended up getting fired, ended up at Ole Miss on that staff with Ed, Ed O. And Art Kehoe was obsessed with a tight end recruit in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And Ed Orgeron is like, Northern schools fly down here to recruit. We don't fly up there to recruit, right? Which is the general rule is absolutely true. Do you know the name of that recruit? I'm drawing a blank at this point in time. I'm going to be mad at myself probably. He ended, but... up, he ended up going to the University of Arizona. Oh, a guy named Gronkowski? Gronkowski. It was Rob Gronkowski. And Art Kehoe was like, I promise you, this guy's different. We got to get him. And Ed Orgeron's like mocking him. Like, why are you running up? You know, do you have a mistress in Pittsburgh? Like, what's right. going on? Yeah. Why are you running up? You know, northern schools fly down here to recruit. We don't fly up there to recruit. Yeah. I, I do need to reread that. I think that would be an interesting reread now, not only from the aspect of what you said, but just I feel like there's just so much more information available that people know a lot more about recruiting and about I think you would understand it more now um, than what you did back then. Because back then that was like behind the scenes. And 100%. now that is kind of available knowledge, you know, so it would probably well, be a, a pretty interesting reread just comparing your reaction now to what you thought you were reading back then as, you know, kind of forbidden fruit type stuff. Well, it, and one thing they did talk about openly was something that you've you, smart recruiters and, and schools have always done, which is they talk about a lot of stuff. But one of the things that struck with me was Joe McKnight was a big recruit. Uh, he was like the number one running back recruit in the country in Louisiana, Louisiana kid, ended up going to USC, um, had, had a decent career there, but he didn't become the superstar everyone projected. They thought he was the next Reggie Bush. And yes. Ole Miss, LSU, and USC were the key schools in that recruitment. And what Ed Orgeron did, talk about like a, a dumb genius or a smart idiot. I'm not sure what he is, but he understood that it was an LSU-Ole Miss battle. And for an L Louisiana kid, if LSU really wants that kid, it's hard to get out of that state, Right. Whether they slash your tires or pay you, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, uh, do you want the, the apple, you know, the carrot or the stick? And, yep. and they're going to give you both if you try to leave Louisiana. 
So Joe McKnight was, it was coming down to Ole Miss LSU. So Ed Orgeron purposely introduced USC to the equation to basically get him off of LSU. He brought Pete Carroll into the recruitment with the hope of like, look, we're not going to get him. And maybe, but we, what he needed to do is muddy this recruitment in his mind and get him open to the idea of going out of state. And then we'll become the compromise school of we're out of state. You're doing your own we're, thing. But, but we're you're not still, on the West Coast. But we're not on the West Coast and mama can still come see all your games, right? So he did that. Of course, it ended up not working out. He ends up going to USC. But I just thought that was interesting because I, stuff like that happens more often than I think the average recruiting fan thinks. I think 100%. I think so. Yeah, the, yeah okay. Well, we're not going to get him, but you're not either. Yes. I know no, Texas I has done that, that to OU. That happens, I think that happens across all sports, honestly. Yeah, I, I know OU's done that to Texas, and I know Texas has done that to OU, which is yeah. OU will be recruiting a guy against Texas, against you know uh, Florida, whatever. And Bob stoops to say, look, bottom line, I, I don't know where you end up, son. I think you'd be a great Oklahoma Sooner. If you go to play for Texas, a place where you're not going to be developed and get coached right, that would kill me just as a coach. So you have my yeah. blessing if you go to Florida. You know, yeah. and that anchors in the kid's mind, right? So it's kind of a mutually, it's kind of a, you take yourself out of the recruitment with that negative recruiting, but you take your opponent out, you know? So if you're running third in a recruitment, it's kind of a good tactic. No, very true. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a baseball equivalent. Uh now, the recruiting aspect of baseball is just so much different. I'm sure it's changed over the years, but it's just different. The, the way the way that you're kind of discovered, I think, in that, and it's kind of a, I don't know, it's more unique groups, I guess, now, especially with all the select travel stuff. That Yeah, yeah. But you, you were going to like Texas pockets. come hell or high water, but... Were you well, at all at the end? I was, but you were at the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, but my point is, were you at all interested in like, well, what pitchers do you already have on staff? No, you were just going to Texas. Correct. Yeah. Once, once that became a viable option, then yes. Okay. Yeah. But, um, my son, speaking not for yourself, do you think your teammates were like looking at the depth chart? Looking yeah, oh, at who's yes. Coming back? No, I, I would, yeah, I would definitely say so. Okay. I mean, you know, kid, kids that we hosted, you know, as I was there uh, throughout the years. Um, I mean, I know, you know, some of the questions we got. I mean, that's a legitimate concern, and it's a fair concern. I mean, it's, you know, like I said, I mean, dur during that time, like we talked about before, you know, the, the talent pool was kind of getting, I don't want to say diluted, but, um, you know, spread around a little bit more than – and I think it's tightening back up now, as I've said it before on the podcast with the – you know, it's kind of – lagging behind football a little bit, but I think it's, it's migrating that way to where, um, I mean, excuse me, I think football's kind of lagging behind baseball. I think the, the move to the SEC from a uh, baseball standpoint started a little bit earlier. Yep. It, it, uh, you know, even the, you know, the TV money's there, the, all the facilities are there, the crowds are there. Um, and I mean, we've talked about it before all the, you know, competitions wise, there's, there's no, no weekend off. So I said, let's put a pin in Northwestern. I want to get your opinion on this. National commentators beyond Ed Orgeron interested in Northwestern job, right? 
Ed Orgeron interested in being a member of the Federal Reserve would be a similar headline. <laughs> right. Uh, how good a job is that? Because here's oh. what I hear from national media. I think they need to go hard after Lance Leipold. Why would Lance Leipold take that job? The only way would be if he sees a dying conference and he's just going to jump ship to be in one that's perceived as stable. Mm -hmm. But on the surface, no, Kansas is a better job right now than Northwestern. And, and he kind of made it that way. I mean, Kansas was yeah, miserable. Yes, for sure. I mean, we're, we're talking about a team that but, was like an 18% winning percentage the decade before, right? Correct. But I mean, they in the past, they have had a couple runs. Yeah. Um, you know, the Mangino years and all so that So is Northwestern. Yeah, I, yeah, you're probably right. But they, they played I in just the feel Big like 12, they were a lot they shorter. In, they, they played in the Big Ten title game in the COVID year, 2020. Does that count? Yeah, I guess. I guess it does. It happened, right? It happened. Um, I, I just, I don't know. It's probably short-sighted, but I, I just don't see that as a good job at all. Well, here's the argument for Northwestern. Go ahead. You, you take that job to lose and become generationally wealthy. Yes. Because Northwestern pays extremely well. For as, as few wins as they get, the – they, they actually even, I don't know if you guys, if you guys have a chance, Google the facilities at Northwestern. They're, they're really, not, that, that was kind of something that was playing in my head is because I know that they have invested um, in the facilities and they have been good more recently, I guess. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of talking to myself. I just, if in my mind, what it boils down to is who's more likely to win a conference title in the next 10 years. Yes. Kansas they have or, no chance. No, zero. I mean, I guess there is a chance, maybe a 0.01% chance, but there, there's zero chance that Northwestern Kansas, I'd put them at, I don't know, 35% maybe. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. If you're a new coach or if you're a hungry coach who's willing to do a rebuild, rebuild and eat crap for a year or two, right? Mm. Is the current environment the best it's ever been for a rebuild or the worst it's ever been because any guy that can play for Northwestern right now, first of all, the way that Pat Fitzgerald went out, I think this will be a Mike Leach situation where in two or three years, when cooler heads prevail, they'll look back and realize a lot of this was nonsense. Yep. Um, hazing is a part of sports. Hazing is a part of locker rooms. Uh, there's varieties of hazing. There's some hazing that's effectively harmless. There's some hazing that's kind of weird. Uh, I get a sense that the couple of people who had grievances knew the right sorts of things to say to trigger the maximal alarm. Whereas yeah, I, just, I haven't followed the story as closely as I probably should have, but I mean, what okay. you're saying is correct. Uh, yeah, know, there, there, there are levels and I, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really followed it at all. to know what came out, but. So I'll give you an um, example. Standard thing. Um, I had a friend that went and played for Florida state, played football for Florida state. When you were a freshman, um, I think this used to happen in Texas. I don't remember. Um, in August, you were rounded up and had your head shaved. Yeah. That's yeah. Stuff I like mean, that happens. And then you get taped to a goalpost. Right. And then guys throw footballs at you 
and throw ice water on you and taunt you, right? Um, I, if you played any sports, this isn't like a big deal, right? The Northwestern allegations went deeper than that, certainly. But what was interesting is I heard from a national media guy, Tom Fornelli, who interviewed a bunch of different Northwestern players. And they said, yeah, oh, absolutely. It was a ton of hazing. Uh, but the, the, how they described it is not what happened. Like putting a sexual thing on it or you know, anything like that. And they said, yeah, that's not at all what happened. But we think this is a couple of aggrieved players who had a specific bone to pick. And they knew the right things to say in today's environment to raise maximal alarm. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah if, we'll you're see. The, if you're getting that wide of conflicting stories, then I don't know. I, the only thing that I know for sure is that as I was following it kind of in the early stages, that it seemed like it was going to kind of be, you know, a disciplinary action and whatever. And then the, uh, the new school president kind of like completely didn't about face. And that was sort of when I lost track of it. So I was like, man, that's weird, but. It's Northwestern. I don't care that much. So yeah, exactly. You know, I always, whenever I think of baseball hazing, I think of like old school cartoons where they like give a guy a hot foot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's the, that's the extent of art. It's just dumb. Have you ever seen a hot foot given in oh, yeah. a baseball dugout? Are you serious? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I thought that just, I thought that was just like a, a, a hokey night. I mean, it, definitely. I mean, it's thing. not like it was an everyday occurrence, but I've, you know, one or two over the, you know, maybe more than that over the course of my career for sure. Best hazing thing you've ever seen done? We had a guy go, go coach first base with a rat tail of made out of <laughs> tape one time. That was pretty good. No clue. I mean, completely clueless. So probably still don't know to this day to be honest with you because they took it off when he came back in but i don't know i mean there's some pretty good ones that's awesome trying on put me on the spot but i'll i'll think about it and see if i can come up with a better one next time but yeah there's always good ones but i mean none of ours were anything close to newsworthy you probably blocked out the terrible things that happened yeah to you. it's, it's uh, all right it's, my therapist helped me through it <laughs> all right so northwestern I mean, where's that job rank in the Big Ten? Last? Is it last? I'm trying to think who would be worse. Well, think about correspondingly the expectations. That's true. I mean, I guess you're really not expected to do much, but I mean, so Purdue's a good academic school. They don't, they're gonna have trouble recruiting in some ways. Uh, but there are some expectations at Purdue that you go to a bowl. Yeah. Yeah, they've been good for a while. I mean, I mean, they, they expect for you to long like, stretches, I say. They expect you, know. you to go to a minor bowl. Yes. Right? Yes. Indiana? Is that a worse job? Oh, than Northwestern? yeah. I would say Indiana probably worse. How about Nebraska? We really want to piss off Nebraska fans. No, I'm just kidding. That's, I'm very interested to see how that plays out over the next couple of years. Yeah. Some of the stories, some of the stories that I've seen about Frost are just kind of like, really? Like, no way. Tell me one. Like, I'm, I'm not super. No, it's just, I mean, in. there's just a whole bunch out there that he basically just made it and, it's like I'm home, dream job, and play golf and party and whatever. I don't know Weird. if any of it's accurate, but it was just I was reading something about him the other day, and I was like, I had no clue. I just, you know, they were asking why he won at UCF and not at Nebraska, and a lot of the comments were in that vein. But I mean, once again, that could be disgruntled people, and 
you never know in this day and age. But if, if you want to take a job to take it easy and relax on your laurels, don't stay do Nebraska. UCF. Do stay Miami. At UCF. Yeah, stay, stay at UCF, UCF and win 10 games a year playing nobody. Exactly. I'm pretty sure if, if the golf thing was a thing, I'm pretty sure the golf courses are probably a little better around Orlando than in Lincoln. Just a wild guess. What? Uh, but so is, is maybe Indiana the worst job? I would say Indiana, unless you can name somebody else that I'm not thinking of. I mean, Wisconsin's Illinois, a good Illinois, job. I, was, I would say Northwestern Illinois is kind of like a step above, and then Indiana's probably last. Yeah. I think some people would have said Minnesota. Oh, wait a minute. What? Oh, Rutgers. I was, that's what just popped in my head. I was like, are they still in? I can't remember what conference. I always so bad. I don't what, know what conference they're in anymore. I forget. <laughs> wait, wait. Is the Rutgers in the ACC? No, wait. What conference? I, I really, I think they're still in the Big Ten. I don't know. This is so embarrassing. I don't remember. I lived right next to that stadium. It's okay. Rutgers, they were, I was doubting it. Uh, Rutgers is, is in the Big Ten. Yes. So Rutgers, is that a worse job than Northwestern? New Jersey has fairly underrated say, they, talent. They, you know, they, Shiano kind of had that thing bumping for a little bit. And he's back. That's a, that's a sneaky high school football state, and you're close to Pennsylvania. Yeah. And South Jersey, where you're pretty darn close to, is potential. I mean, basically Philly. Yeah. Um, no, I'd still put them above it. Yeah, I'd throw them in the rung with Northwestern and Indiana. Illinois, in Indiana, yeah. I mean uh, Illinois. I think Indiana. is <clears throat> the bottom. You just don't have any. You have no natural recruiting. The two states closest to you. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, and you don't. Yo, know, you could say Nebraska has no native recruiting base, and that's absolutely true. But there is a level of fervor and passion there. Yeah, I think the it's, fan base and the the program interest elevates it probably past what it should be and yeah. history. But if you're looking at this from a purely professional standpoint, Randy, you're now a coach. Nebraska can be a killer job because they have high expectations of you and you don't have the natural. Your, yeah, your leash is not as long there for sure. Yeah, that's wild. So what's the, the, what's the median Big Ten job? Is it Michigan State? I'd say Minnesota probably fits Minnesota in there somewhere. I mean, you're expected to be good, not too good. One, you know, hit on a quarterback every once in a while, like they did a couple years ago, and win nine, ten games. How many? What they win that one year? Eight, nine. Yeah. When PJ Fleck was all the rage. What is? I'm trying to think of what the median Big Ten. Michigan State's been too good over the course of its history to be in the median for me. They've had some pretty long stretches of irrelevance. I can tell you that. Yeah, true. What, uh, maybe recency bias on that on my part. Um, Wisconsin's in the upper tier, not the upper. Yeah, up- Wisconsin. Oh, Iowa. There you go. That's, it's, that's it's somewhere that's between Iowa, the, that's Michigan the, state. That's right? the accurate answer for median. Probably. Yeah. Okay. And then the elite programs are Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan, Penn State, USC. Would you put Wisconsin in that? Right below. Right below. Yeah. Fair. With Fickle, Fickle has a chance. 
So I, I, I read something. I don't know why. I'm just interested because I think Fickle's a great coach. But, you know, he's putting in the spread at Wisconsin. Yep. Be so they got, they got Tanner Mordecai, former Sooner, former Mustang, SMU Mustang, transfer up there to be the quarterback because they lost their quarterback, who was terrible, to the transfer portal to Florida. To save, to save Florida? To save Florida. So they, they're passing around each other's problems, right? Um, Tanner Mordecai threw three interceptions in the spring game, Randy. Hey, that, that wasn't great. That's not great. That's not good. Uh, apparently, he's a good guy. Uh, I know a guy who coached him in high school, but not ideal. So Fickle maybe may have a rough... Is, maybe the defense is just that good, Paul. Maybe, maybe they are. Maybe that's, that's that Badger defense. Yeah, I think... So they have one more year of divisions in the Big Ten? Yeah, then they scrap in that, right? And they scrap that. So that's great news if you're Penn State. 100%. Right? Uh, yeah. It's great news if you're Rutgers. God help you. You had to play Penn State. <laughs> Imagine starting every year and you just... Not only you pencil in a loss yeah, for a game... Yeah, you start 0-5. Well, you, you pencil in like 49 to seven loss, right? Like that's rough. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I feel good for those, the big 10 East guys or whatever they're called, the legends or whatever the hell they call yeah, that I don't bullshit. Know they, yeah. All right. I don't, we're, we've talked to more big 10 than we probably need to, but yeah, I was just fascinated again. by the Northwestern yeah. job because you can make legitimately $5 million a year coaching that program. Mm-hmm. The expectations are low, but is it ultimately fulfilling to go four and eight every year? Like, I, I don't, I, no, I guess it depends not, what you want to be. Not for the guys that are in that profession. I think the, the thing they have to caution against is they have to find a young, hungry guy. Yes. Or, or even an old, hungry guy. Lance Leipold wasn't exactly a spring chicken, but he was hungry. You cannot Very do true. the less miles. Like no, you can't. You can't go for established name. Charlie Weiss. Right. Yeah. No. That. That's. That's not going to work. Yeah. These are be, coaches trying to get their last, like, the down payment on their lake house before they retire. You, you got to be willing to open yourself up to be the stepping stone. And yeah. if it happens, great. That's a good thing. Nailed it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, what do you think of the idea that I know I've talked to the, uh, Bobby Burton about this, and we both kind of agree on this. But what do you think about the idea that Texas can't have a Daryl Royal again. Like we should actively encourage our coaches if they're successful, obviously, even if they're successful, I should say to move on after year 10 or 12. I don't think I disagree. The counter arguments, Nick Saban, right? It but just depends, is, on, the, it depends rare... on the type of person. It depends on the type of personality you get, right? Like yeah. if you get a Saban alpha perfectionist i'm constantly chasing greatness and history and all that but man if you're good here it's a lot of patting on the back i mean it's you just look at recent history it seems like every great coach here has kind of stayed probably a little too long or just kind of lost their luster at the end your old coach as much as i love i mean augie did at the end mac did at the end rick barnes did at the end It's a it's an Eddie easy Reese place to get trucking. complacent. Yeah, here he's just still trucking. <laughs> he's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, a a pretty easy place to get complacent. True, very true. So I, I mean, and I wouldn't say any of those guys are really. I mean, I don't know Mac well or Rick well, but I mean, I, I Augie was definitely not a 
one to sit on his laurels. Um, no, he, he was not sort of soft. Just but... sort of happens with this day and age. I think it's just harder and harder. Yeah. Because there's always something else coming, right? There's the, the new upcomer ready to, you know, there, there's more people chomping at the bits take you down now than, than I think back in, in the Royal days. Yeah. I, I almost feel like you need the constant reintroduction of energy and enthusiasm. Um, but the question is, do you do it on your terms or their terms? I think that's sort of, I think that's why it's good if your assistant coaches continually move on. Yeah. Cause I think part of part of the football deal with Mac was, you know, a lot of the assistants got maybe, you know, I don't, I don't know them. I did just, you know, if, if an OC is in a place for a long, long period of time or a DC is in a place for a long period of time or your assistants or your staff or any of those people, like, I feel like it would be easier for those guys to kind of fall into that trap, even, even you know, unknowingly, even, um, you know, are you really looking to make that last tweak in your offense or, yeah, I mean, Saban actively enforces a vitality curve and yeah. he purposely brings in young guys. Pete Carroll did the same. If you look at his, Pete Carroll's an old, old coach, right? Like Saban yes. repeatedly had coordinators in their 30s, right? I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, um, you know, on defense, Pete was sort of the, the guy ultimately running the defense. Right. But, he, you know, he was constantly bringing in new energy, new ideas. Right. Same as Saban. There's a, there's a lot of power to that. But then you look at the John Hecox of the world at Iowa State, and it's an old veteran coach, and it's just a mentality thing, right? He's, I mean, what he does at Iowa State on defense is about as impressive as it gets, given the material. Yeah, I think he's, he fits the mold of an innovator, though. I don't know if you can – I mean, I, yes, old veteran coach is true, but I think innovator leapfrogs old veteran coach and things that I would use to describe him. That's a great point. I, I think he's pretty malleable with – yes, he runs a system, but I, that system has been run multiple different ways with multiple different guys as, as the quote-unquote star and person yeah. that they funnel things to. You know, the funniest thing about him that I love is every default defensive coordinator press conference – in the off season, it sounds like a wrestling promo getting cut. Oh, yeah. We're going to be more aggressive. We're going to bring the fight to them. They're going to react to us. We're blitzing. Hecox like, uh, we'll probably drop eight. <laughs> yep. Eventually the offense will make a mistake. Yeah. This year, this year, I think my center field safety is a star this yeah. year. Maybe my linebacker is a star, but it's, it's going to be some form of this. We just may tweak it a little bit. Yeah. He's like, I'll probably drop eight on third and six and we'll tackle them two yards short of the sticks and they'll punt. <laughs> yep. And it's going to work. Not again. exactly the most motivating uh, for the fans to hear. No. But, you yeah. Know, the no, yeah. If you're, if you're signing up to watch, uh, you know, people blitzing from outer space, not the guy for you. Yeah. Not, not the Todd Orlando blitzing. Well, I was going to say Todd Orlando Orlando was pretty consistent with his, his approach. He he had blitzes that started in the dugout in the Texas baseball stadium. They kept getting hung up in 35 traffic. (laughs) Got to jump off the upper deck, man. Yeah. Got to put on a wingsuit. Got to go over the top. New new meaning for going over the top. (laughs) I was dumb enough. Hecock is, uh, yeah, that's an interesting, 
I wish I knew more about him. Somebody needs to write a book or do a deep dive. <clears throat> Paul. Um, oh, okay. How I'll just go up to Ames. I, I want to know how he developed, like his story, like where he started and how he got here. I'll, 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 have to, I'll actually look into that. I know a little bit about him, but I don't want to offer yeah, too I, much I, in case I'm wrong. Like, I mean, I know modern, you know, last few years, what he's done is incredible. But I'd like to follow his trajectory to get to where he's at now. That'd be interesting, I think. You know, it's interesting is he's got a counterpart in the same state who's single-handedly responsible for Iowa football still being relevant. Uh, and he does it completely differently. Yep. Tall press man corners. Uh, big physical fronts. Always has a pass rusher somehow. It's some walk-on from Dubuque, Iowa. Yeah, some, yeah, some random guy. Who, who runs a 4'6", 40 at 260 pounds. And you're like, where'd they get this guy? Innate instincts of... Yeah, and then, of course, they've got the Iowa linebackers, the obligatory, you know, perfect between the tackles, don't make yeah, mistakes. I, don't, I never miss a tackle, ever. And then they somehow dig up two cornerbacks who are 6'3", 210, and they play press man. Crazy. They do it completely I, I, different. I think that, that probably plays into it is... You know they can probably recruit to that and be like, "Hey, look, we're gonna we're we are gonna play you NFL style. If yes. you want to come here and and do that, then we will let you do it." Well, in Iowa probably as much as any program, given their talent inputs, their argument for putting people in the NFL is pretty True. damn good. If you play tight end, if you play linebacker, defensive end, corner, safety, uh, not quarterback. <laughs> Punter. Offensive line, they used to put quite a few. Punter, yeah. You're going you're to get a lot of reps. A lot of work, a lot of film. Maybe no, a good thing, maybe a bad thing. I don't know, but you're going to get a lot of film. Like a young Randy Boone who would punt it <laughs> 35 yards in his helmet and then run and get it and punt it again. <laughs> right. And then hitchhike home when he realized he was four miles away. <laughs> yeah. Back when a nine-year-old boy could hitchhike safely. Yeah, seriously. Oh, man. Uh, hey, let's talk a little Texas. I want to bounce something off you. So you may notice a little factoid in the 2023 Longhorn football prospectus, thinking Texas football, the 11th annual edition, Randy, the premier Texas and big 12 preview. Nice. Uh, I had a little snippet that actually I got some reactions to, which was interesting. Um, a couple of people actually contesting it, but no, it was true. Texas was in the top five of all schools in the country in 2022, lining up with two plus tight ends on total snaps. Now, I believe it. I believe it too, because I, I watched the games. Yeah. And I, I no, I, yeah. I mean, he was married to 12 for a while. We were married to 12. It was sort of our de facto base offense, right? Probably even more. Sark likes that, but I think even yeah. more probably than he wanted. Um, yes. And I think there's some good reasons for it. I also think we're going to still do quite a bit of 12 because he likes it. He likes some of the coverages he gets out of it. And he likes, he likes some of the aspects of play action you can do out of it. Uh, but we realized pretty quickly, Quinn Ewers was not an intuitive play action quarterback out of those traditional sets. I don't mean RPOs, which is to me different. I mean, the traditional. Yeah, no, 100%, yeah 100% different. Yes. You, I mean, Yoakum high school football, you take the snap under center and you fake it to the, the running back. And then you take two steps and you throw it to a spot, right? You're not even throwing it to the receiver per se. You're throwing no. it to the spot. No. Um, and yours didn't exactly thrive doing that. Um, and I think that has to do with his spread DNA. I don't, 
there's a certain timing to play action football. Um, even very average tools, quarterbacks can throw a good play action pass. There's a huge difference between taking a snap and having your head downfield at all times and being forced to turn your back and then turn and read. Yes. You, you see a picture at the snap and in the course of one, two ball in the belly of my running back, pull it one, two turn and look, that picture looks vastly different than what it looked like. And heaven forbid you get a missed block or a little bit of an issue. And all of a sudden you got a slide here and slide there. You're, you're, it's very easy for, for you to lose your timing, I guess. Um, when you're not playing with your head downfield the whole time. Well, in fact, in play action, as you're in your fake and your drop back, as you hit your last step, you need to be releasing the ball. Yep. And uh, that decision got to get made pretty quick. Yeah. Unless you made it, unless you made it pre-snap. Well, and so the, the pre-snap part is interesting about a spread quarterback like Quinn Ewers, who grew up with that DNA, like most Texas high school quarterbacks now, right? Yep. Uh, play action, the traditional old school play action is a little bit of a lost art because they're used to a big field, three or four receivers, everything's spread. You never take your eyes off the field, even as you're play action faking an RPO, yep. right? To a shotgun. Yeah, you never, back. you never turn. You never Hardly turn. Hardly ever turn unless you're in the pistol. And the picture's clear. Like, you know what the coverage is more or less. Um, they, they might be blitzing. They might be switching stuff up last second, but you're never taking your eyes off the field. And I remember when David LaFleur became the head coach and sort of OC at Green Bay, one of the big battles he had was with Aaron Rodgers saying, hey, I like to see the field. I don't like traditional play action. I don't like put, turning my back to the defense. And I've been doing this for 15 years pretty well. And LaFleur kind of convinced him to do some and integrate it uh, and, and, you know, to, to different results. I mean, Green Bay ran the ball better. Uh, he's still Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's going to be able to make whatever throw. But my question to you is, with the improvement in wide receiver quality, which we're surely going to see this year, in other words, we have a third receiver who's better than our second tight end, right? Yes. Uh, and a fourth are, and a fifth. Yes. So are we going to become a base three wide receiver offense? I think so. Okay. And I think we should. Um, that's one, that's, I guess that's one of the only real big criticisms, criticisms I have of Sark is he gets a little max protecty for me. I've never been a real big max protect guy. I mean, I know that's part of his scheme and everything, but I, I'm if you have a guy that can execute it, which I think Ewers is more suited to do, I like the Joe Burrow spread him out and let me cook type thing. Mm-hmm. What about if your quarterback is effectively a, a freshman and you've got two true freshman offensive line starters and a true sophomore? Yeah, and that's and that's why I think it was yeah. prevalent because you know it's. But at the same time, I would say that he saw things at practice that led him to think that was the best course, um, because you can protect him by spreading it out and tell him to get the ball out. But last year we didn't have the receivers to do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, you had two guys basically that, you know, I mean, I guess Kane kind of came on late a little bit, but mm. I mean, you're, you'd, be, you'd be running two man games on one side of the field with Whittington and Worthy out of the spread, where, I mean, it doesn't really do much good to spread if they effectively 
ignore one side of the field. That's, that's, I think, where Sark came, which was, look, I've got a young quarterback who can't coordinate the offensive line. I've got a young offensive line who can't compensate for a young quarterback. Right. What's the best thing I can do? Line up two tight ends. Make sure at least one always stays in to help protection. We can just yeah. uh, block left. Like you can keep making yeah, your calls. And your, and your left tackle was a really, really, really good pass blocker. Your right tackle was a really, really good run blocker. He yeah. Pass pro <laughs> yeah. the year before. And your interior guys were better run blockers than pass blockers. So, yep. Yeah. yeah you, I think that's where it came from. And I kind yeah. of agree with you. The other thing, though, is we might feel differently on the max protect if he hit those throws. Well, that, that's what I was going to say, rolling back to it is yes. I mean, absolutely. If he hits those throws and they're, I have no problem doing it every once in a while because yeah. I, I mean, I don't, you can put three guys on worthy and he's proven that he can run by them, trick them, do something. Somehow he's going to get open. Yep. Um, I just, I don't like it a whole lot. If, if we're going to do something a lot, I would rather spread it out and, and take that route. Um, yeah. I, I think if you but trust, it's, it's your- definitely, it's if, if you can run the ball, you way you want to, and you have somebody of the ability of worthy or Jerry Judy or Waddle or those type of guys, where you can get those long crossers or like I said, where he can sell catch up to a Eskimo and just convince him he's running out of bounds somehow and break it back to the inside. Um, it's got its place, but I wouldn't feature it as much as he does, but he makes millions of dollars to be a football coach and I don't. So catch up to an Eskimo. I like it. You never heard that one. I, I've, is that the twist on the ice to an Eskimo? Is, that, is it the ironic twist on I it? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Catch up to a tomato factory, maybe? No. Okay, sorry. I think it's just because it's in the snow. <laughs> and it could be something somebody said when I was a kid and hope that doesn't make any sense, which is very possible. It's, it's possibly gibberish. That's good. Very possible. Uh, no, I, I agree with you, actually. I think that's what it's about. It's about the right personnel, too, right? Um, yeah, and... And, you know, we keep saying all this, and, I mean, he's, he knows what he sees at practice and what they've demonstrated to him. So, I mean, we may be sitting here saying it's going to happen this year, and they may come out in 12 all the time, and it may work phenomenally because yours is better. Everybody's got a better understanding of it, and maybe that was the deal. Yeah, I would say the Alamo Bowl, and this is a strange thing to say, given that Texas was held to 20 points uh, and started really slow. I think the Alamo Bowl probably showed – the direction of the offense. I don't think, I don't think we're going to throw it 47 times, but. I don't think they would have just done that out of happenstance. Yeah. I think they were auditioning something. Yeah. I mean, I know you had Brooks was dinged up and, but I, I don't, I mean, you still had the ability to, to continue in the path that you had been on. I, I think it was on purpose or intentional, as Sarkeesian would say. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think it, being intentional is important in football. It's also important with your financial decisions, Randy. And we know a guy who you need to be intentional with if you're going to do a mortgage, whether it's a refi or buying a new house this summer. There's still time. Reach out to our friend, Gabe Winslow. He, you can reach him at 832-557-1095. Gabe is a diehard Texas fan. That's not a reason to do business with him. You should do business with him because he's been in the industry for 20 years. He's got a law degree. He's really sharp. Uh, Randy's done approximately 19 mortgages and refis with him. Uh, <laughs> they've all worked out for you. 
getting there. Uh, yep. And one thing Gabe's really good is you don't want to try to time the market and the stock market. But if you have a gifted enough mortgage guy, you can time the market in the world of mortgages. And Gabe is that guy. So reach out to him. Give him a call. Mortgage, uh, that's mortgagesbygabe.com. If you want to just go to the website. Uh, he has been a friend of the podcast forever. And uh, we thank him for sponsoring. All right, Mr. Boone, sir. So if we go to three wide, what's the running game going to look like? Probably more outside zone-ish, right? Yeah. Stretch, things of that nature, which I think kind of fits Brooks. Uh, I don't know much about Baxter's high school offense, but I think he probably fits that mold as well, kind of slashery. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the, on the back position? I guess, what, what do you, how do you see the breakdown of carries going? So Steve Sarkeesian, like sometimes, sometimes coaches are very, most of the time they're very guarded in press conferences and they're deliberate and intentional in what they yep. say. <laughs> sometimes they'll just sort of, you can get an insight into their true thought because they kind of start musing on something out loud and they almost forget the context. Uh, for example, I've listened to old podcasts of Everyone Gets a Trophy, and I've been like, oh, I didn't know I'd, I thought that. Or like, you know, and so Sarkeesian was talking about Jonathan Brooks. I don't know if you caught this, but he was saying, you know, we got to find out if he's a bell cow, you know, because they were talking to him about the thousand yard season streak of, right. of Sarkeesian tailbacks. And he said, you know, we got to find out about Jonathan Brooks. You know, he's done well with the opportunities we've given him. He's been hurt twice. Uh, is he a 20-carry guy? Is he an, an 8 to 10-carry guy and three, you know, catches? Uh, and so him kind of musing that out loud, I think – I don't think it was a challenge to Jonathan Brooks. I think he honestly was wondering that. Mm -hmm. Like, are we going to be fully by committee? Or are we going to have a bell cow? And, and Sark's preference historically is a bell cow. I mean – the dude made poor Bishop Sankey run like 47 times one time at Washington. Um, but Sark also knows guys have a certain pitch count. And Brooks may be a guy who's most effective with 12 to 15 touches. Uh, and then you're looking for Baxter to get more mature, right? And Keelan Robinson, obviously, he's capable. Um, you know, he's a, he's a limited back in the sense of, he's more of a pass catcher. He's going to be running certain run plays. He's not going to be a pass protector for you. Uh, and then the two primary colors, blue and red, yep. uh, we, you know, they're X factors. I mean, would you, you, don't be, know. Yeah. would you be utterly shocked if blue ran for a thousand yards? Not well. Yeah, probably, but not all, not by his ability. Yeah. Just, like if it happened, yes, but no, I, th I mean, ability wise, no. Yeah. I guess the and, other, I mean, glowing reviews from red, from everything that I've seen and from, you know, for a guy that basically, basically played the go win the game position in high school. I mean, he's yeah. definitely adept enough at running it. So I, I, at times I think people will pick up on my political language in my preview. If you want some insights into the team, uh, Savian red is a, everything on the football field. He's all football, all baller. Mm -hmm. Sometimes not always focused or intentional off the yep. field. And so that can affect him uh, a little bit. 
Uh, and I think that'll be kind of his determinant on playing time. Yep, very much so. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I think it's a talented room. It'd just be I don't think anybody knows at this point in time, Zark included, how it's all going to shake out. Also, Baxter could show up literally after three months of like a training table and lifting weights for like the first time in his life in a serious way. He might show up weighing two twenty five and jacked in mm-hmm. in August, right? I mean. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what that looks like. I'd be interested to see what Brooks looks like as well, because I think, I think part of his development over the offseason uh, was definitely going to be to put on some good weight as well. Yeah. He's also um, – I just enjoy watching him run. Yeah, very smooth. Very, very smooth. Kind of a glider. Glider. Uh, you kind of are like – it's like the classic player, if you're a coach, you'd be like, is this guy going to try? Like, what, was he yep. not – and then you realize that it's like mm-hmm. when you watched early Vince Young, especially in high school at Madison. It's like he's not even running. Well, you're kind of like, oh, uh, I guess he's talented, but he's not even trying. Like, I don't know if I like that about his character. And then you and then realize destroying angles, destroying angles. And then you start seeing him against like other scholarship players in the playoffs because the Houston Madison Marlins, you know, no offense to those guys, not super <laughs> talented around old Vince. And then you saw him deep in the playoffs playing good teams. And you're like, oh, he, he is trying. It just looks effortless. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, we're kind of getting lofty comparisons here with Brooks and, and Vince Young. But, uh, yeah, he's got an effortlessness to like an economy to his running style that's pretty cool. I agree. Whereas there's other runners, you're like, oh, wow, he's running hard. And, you know, oh, you can see the effort. And, you know, it's second and eight. Yep. <laughs> it's not much happened. Hardest two yards ever. Exactly. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know. What do you got? Is there anything you feel like uh, chatting about? How, how do you see – so say you're in 11. What's, what's your distribution as far as your favorite formation to go from? Go there. Are you going to go Worthy and Whittington on one side with the – Attach Sanders and insert other receiver here on the other side, A.D. Mitchell probably? You, you know, that's a, a great question. So – Or would you work – I like – Tied into worthy side. So I like – Or trips. Whit- I like Whittington on A.D. Mitchell's side or, or Nayor's side mm-hmm. uh, because I think that just opens up natural, obvious progressions, right? Right. Uh, and then I like Xavier Worthy in motion, hunting matchups. Now, should Sanders, do you want to overload one side? Do you want to distribute it out and spread things out to give Quinn a better look? Do you want to go trips and then have Jatavian Sanders on the weak side away from the trips and right. you create weird overloads for anyone who's trying to run zone against you, right? Well, you, you brought up an interesting point there. I mean, it, you don't even have to motion Worthy to hunt matchups because yeah. – I mean, Whittington can play outside, so flip him into the slot. You can throw him, you know, as the two in a trips, as a three in a trips. Huh. How, do you, how do you identify that as a secondary? You got A.D. Mitchell outside, Whittington, and then uh, Worthy's your three to that side with Sanders on the backside. Who are you covering him with? You going to roll your corner over there? You're getting me excited. So, I mean... It, I don't know if you have a good answer for that as a DC. I got to think. 
I just got to think as a, 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 a question to ask the Texas offense systemically, can you, can you play the flyover, you know, three deep across kind of deal that has given Sark problems historically. Yes. And then can Texas sort of <clears throat> play a patient game taking chunks against that um, and, you know, not drop balls, run the right route, get your 12 yards, move the sticks, run the ball effectively, et cetera. Um, that's a great question, man, because I, I look, I, I, I do think you're going to see more 11. Oh, I there's no doubt. He, he's not abandoning like 12 because he likes. The no, he loves it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's his, he was running 12 when he number. had three NFL first round draft picks at Alabama. Yep. That tells yep. you all you need to know. Right. Mm -hmm. He's, he's still got Cameron Latu out on the field with Billingsley. Yep. So, um, uh, that said, we are going to run more third, uh, we're going to run more 11. There's no question. Um, I also think, look, I mean, one of the deep dives I always do in my preview is I look at, just a base measure gross before I even deep dive on anything. Do you have a, an experienced quarterback? Do you have experience on the offensive line? And do you have quality and experience in the secondary? And, and if you have those things, you will not have a bad team. Yep. Like you, you can't play bad football. You can't. doesn't mean you're going to win the league, but you're going to be pretty good. Uh, dude, there are not going to be many teams in the Big 12 with good secondary next year. TCU, Texas, and we don't play ourselves. Uh, Iowa State will have a good secondary. Correct. Oklahoma could have a good secondary. And That'll I, be I think very that's, interesting to me this year overall. I, I, I think if they can start a freshman Peyton Bowen, and he's as good as I think he is, uh, and pairing him – with some of their other younger guys, they need a turnover sort of in that secondary. And yes, but they they're going to have to deal with some blown coverages. So I think they have the potential to be good, but I'm not sure yet. That's it. Those are your yeah, secondaries. I, mm -hmm. Kansas State secondary is devastated. Gone. Not good. Kansas oh, whole defense isn't that good. No, Oklahoma State. We don't even play them. Who cares? Nope. Uh, Houston, Houston no. God help them. They're doomed uh, when we start throwing the ball against them. Uh, BYU, no. Average. They're, what BYU is going to do is come out in zone and play secondary heavy and say, prove you can move the ball in chunks, right? Like, we're not going to give anything no. to you over the top. Baylor, uh, Texas no. Tech will have a decent secondary. Texas Tech has a pair of big press man uh, corners. And if their pass rush can get to you, they're a problem. If they can't get to you, you're going to throw 70-yard touchdowns. So, I, th I think we'll be better equipped to handle the press man situation this year. I think if you put enough receivers out there and the, the formations you described, I think your press man aggression gets turned against you pretty quick. Yep. I think it gets a little ugly. So, uh, that's a, I'll tell you what, that's a really interesting football team, Texas Tech. I think um, – yeah, I, look, I don't necessarily have to love him, but I think McGuire was a great hire for them. Oh, I think yeah, I think he's about as good good hire as they could have made. I, I want to like the guy. He just keeps saying stupid stuff. <laughs> he just keeps talking shit about <laughs> Texas, which is part of his genius because he knows oh, yeah. what plays no, to his fan base. He's, he's playing into it. 
He's playing so, into it. But no, I think that was a great hire by them. I think he's a good coach. Do you uh, have any thoughts or comments on the uh, wonderful comments from the Big 12 assistant or deputy commissioner, Barney Fife? Uh, I do, but let's keep the podcast for children can listen to it. Uh, I think good. you and I think you and Bobby did a good job on that, <laughs> on y'all's rants. I thoroughly enjoyed those, and I echo your sentiments and then some because that is something that's driven me crazy uh, over the years. Is how people just be so dense to the how this exists, how this all but, works. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I'll I'll save my comments for yeah. Class maybe, act, Randy. Maybe one day at a at a bar after a couple of drinks, I'll I'll let them loose. But all right, yeah. What an idiot. Well, here's your here's your award for for doing late night duty on this podcast and for being class. Brad, Brad Hill is not very happy with you on the Emporia State comments, by the way. Oh, really? Why is that? The only other guy that I know that went to Emporia State. Oh, he, was okay. the, he was the head coach at Kansas State for baseball back in the day. I think he actually oh. just re- – I think I, the only reason I know that is because I think he just got – it popped up on Twitter that he's back at Emporia State where he is, went to school as the, as the is, head coach now. Is but. he uh, Is he smarter than Leon Lett? Was that the reason uh, yes. you take offense? <laughs> yes. All right. Definitely. Well, this guy's not. No. So. No. Not if that's his take on this whole situation. So I just – I mean, even if it's what you think, dude, like, you Have work you work awareness. for texas in part yeah it's, like wow. it's dumb it's, it's so stupid and by the way equally insulting to oklahoma oh 100 yeah like a reluctant oh. bride texas yeah, broke into the big 12 say that yeah other than the money and the prestige aspect they're the best program texas <laughs> broke into the big 12 dormitories and slung oklahoma over our yeah. shoulder and took Doubt them off it. in the woods yeah Un- unreal check the, check the trophy case dude yeah it's so stupid all right yeah, well you no. you because you've been so classy randy i'm gonna reward you with a small amount of baseball talk at the very end david pierce our new pitching coach randy so here if you are a pierce critic those of you who, who aren't fully happy with david pierce just understand that he has fired the pitching coach three years in a row so there's a chance he resigns at the end of next season based on this move <laughs> yeah i guess you could look at it that way but not in, i mean this is background in, right very interesting move it is yeah that's i mean he's kind of i would i mean he's done both over the course of his career but yeah i think he was more of a pitching guy than a hitting guy uh not i mean not that i'm plugged in or follow it close enough to have you know any insight into it but it, not what i saw coming um just interesting good getting too low back um in any shape or form yep but uh, yeah, the pitching coach thing will be interesting. And I guess uh, the, I can't think of it, Longley, I think was a pitching coach at Duke mm-hmm. before he came over. So he'll, he'll have kind of a co-pitching coach, I guess, so to speak. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. And uh, I mean, it's not unheard of. I mean, Skip's his own pitching coach and up at OU and there's other guys that I probably do it. But uh, at a place like uh, Texas with all the demands, it'll be interesting to see how he juggles it all. and and. Uh, how it all shakes out. Will we'll our some, third we'll have some arms to work with? We got some good news out of the draft, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I did. I did see that. Uh, will our third base coaching improve? Oh, that's right. I didn't think about that. With this move, we'll have, a, yeah. Are we going we'll to stop blaming in dudes from first base? <laughs> yeah, I think it takes a lot of flack for that, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, the next time we hit a Texas hey, leaguer just, and wave in a guy from first base. 
<laughs> Come on, yeah. baby, you can make it. He's definitely consistent over there. He's gonna he's gonna push the envelope sometimes <laughs> a little too far, in my opinion. But uh, he, yeah, he likes you, you never doubt where he was gonna stand on that. For that's right, for sure. But uh, but no, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But uh, I I think more so than than that is just from a pitching standpoint, exciting to to get some of the arms we got back and bring in some new guys. Will be uh, interesting to see how Wit progresses coming back, and then you got LBJ looking to kind of build off the the back end and. Should be hey, set up for a pretty pretty good staff. Is the is the rule of thumb for baseball draft if you're not in the first ten rounds you should come back? Is that the deal? Um, I, I think it's different now, and I don't know how much these guys are getting in nil wise or whatever. Um, but I think the the facilities, the training, and everything at the college level has jumped so much that the tipping point's probably a lot different than what it used to be. Um, other than just from a pure standpoint of I want to get my pro career started. Um, but if, if you think you have the potential to jump into that top, whatever, eight to however many rounds, six round uh, window by coming back, I, I think it's a lot easier to do so in this day and age uh, than maybe it was 10 years ago. So forgive my ignorance here, but the, so maybe not double A, but, the introductory leagues in pro baseball, wouldn't they have significantly lesser facilities than a college baseball program? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, if you're playing at the, at the, like the lowest, lowest level, if you're playing at the team facility in like the summer league or the developmental league or whatever they call it now, you know, you're at the, at the, at the home complex. So you're, you're in a pretty good situation, but uh, yeah, low a high. I mean, your major college program is going to have better facilities. Um, They've done a lot to improve that in the in the minors, but yeah, I mean, in a place like Texas, you're not seeing that until you get, you know, nice AAA or a, a big league stadium. Hell, I'm, some of the programs might have better facilities than big league stadiums now. Definitely better than Oakland. Yeah, not for long. I'd still be better than Oakland. They just won't have a team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of curious what they're going to repurpose that stadium into. Oh. Uh, uh, I, I will say it's I've pretty, been to a baseball game. It's pretty close game. to repurposing itself. I've been to a baseball game there. It's actually uh, uh, a completely different fan experience from going to a Raiders game. They draw on a different uh, group of folks. It's a vastly it's a family environment. Crowd. Vastly different crowd. But uh, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, baseball-wise, there's a lot to be excited about going into next year, but um, we'll see how the staff shakeups all pan out. And, and it'd be interesting to see if it, you know, say, you know, pitching staff's really good. Does it continue? Or yeah. was this kind of a, you know, one-year thing just because type deal? Transitional be, deal. But, uh, yeah, be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Well, if you're an established pitching coach, maybe you look at the track record of ERAs versus firings, and then you say, eh, maybe I, I might pass on this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a concern, right? But Well, you know, whether it's sports or whatever, look, if you're, if you're a sales guy, and your boss had your old, old territory, that's tough. Tough already. Yep. Right? So if Pierce fancies himself as a pitching guy, and he's got that's his track record, I would imagine it's not easy to be his pitching coach. Very true. But at the same time, he did – the guy that came to Texas with him as a pitching coach was there for, you know, multiple years with him beforehand. So yeah, that's fair. And then, I mean, and then Allen, when he switched over um, – you know, had been with him for a while as well. So 
don't know. It, it's, in my opinion, it was an unexpected move. I, in my eyes, it was kind of strange, but it's not just out completely out of left field because it is his background. This will be a, a very disrespectful question, but baseball managers, it's not like being the head coach in the OC. It's you, your bandwidth is not quite as limited. The pace of the game is a little slower. Correct. There is decision-making going on, but a lot of it's rote, like standard. I mean, forgive my ignorance here. I know there's the game within the game and all that that I don't understand, but what's so taxing about being the manager and the pitching coach? I, I would is just it a say – practice time, thing or in-game thing? It's, I would say the, the pitching coach does a vast majority of his work not on game day. Okay. Um, so then that taxes his time at practice. If, you know, if he's in the bullpen – for an hour and a half with everybody that's got their bullpens, then he's not on the field. But now you have, you know, a guy or two guys out there that have been with him now. And so it's just how do you how do you divvy up your time? But I, I would say that the pitching coach does a vast majority vast majority of his work on non game days. And then on game day it's basically keeping your guy right, little things you notice, getting them back right. And then I mean you're not managing well the way that Texas runs it, Pierce was managing the pitching staff with input from the pitching coach already, basically, as far as, um, you know, moves and getting who's pitching where and stuff like that. So that's really yep. shouldn't be any different. Um, if anything, him, I would assume not coaching third base uh, would uh, get him in the dugout more to be around his guys uh, to, you know, be with him in between innings, little tidbits here and there. But, uh, Prevent the, hot foots. The yeah, get a couple of those going. Maybe <laughs> some uh, cup eyes. But um, yeah, the the managing managing the time at practice and away from game day would be the the interesting part of it to me as to how he shakes all that out. Interesting. All right, man. You've you've raised my baseball IQ from a seventy nine to about an eighty three. I appreciate that. Um, anything else we need to hit? Before we're out of here. I don't think so. Once again, we thought we getting might keep closer. it short. It is getting close. What is your ultimate sign that a Texas football season is about to happen? No, I don't really have one, I guess. It's buying the 2023 Longhorn Football Prospectus. Oh, is that what Texas I was supposed football. to say? Yeah. Sorry. Is that why you're pointing? Yeah, and, I was sorry, pointing I enthusiastically <laughs> and like smiling and doing a thumbs up. You're like, oh, I no. Couldn't let you, I, could, I couldn't let you have the plug that easy. Oh, no, man. I just yes, fall out of bed September Saturday. Near and fall. I just that fall is, out of bed and their horns are on. That's that's my signal. When the, uh, when the book shows up in the mail, that's, that's the trigger. <laughs> you mean the 25 editions you buy? One for yourself yes, and 24 to gift to friends? All on Smashwords. All so on you Smashwords. Get more money. I get the extra dollar fifty in royalty. There you go. Hell yeah. My son's going to go to college now. Thanks, Randy. There you go. All right. Hey, for Randy Boone, I'm Paul Bodlington. You guys take care. We'll be back soon. And uh, hook them. Hook them. Do you need a realtor in Central Texas? Of course you do. We all need a realtor in Central Texas. Even those of us who live in Dallas or Houston or San Francisco or Denver, Colorado, 
you need to go to Central Texas anyway. And the reason is Laura Baker is a fantastic realtor. She's great at what she does. She's a member of the elite Andy Allen team for Keller Williams. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. Talk with Laura if you're thinking about putting your house on the market. This is a great time to get market comps. Uh, if you're looking to buy in the market, you need all the help you can get. Call Laura and it's 512-784-0505. Interest rates are up and the market is tumultuous. And now more than ever, you need the best darn possible mortgage broker working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. And you can reach him at 832-557-1095. Or you can go to mortgagesbygabe.com. What makes Gabe so unique? Well, he's incredibly bright. He's a UT grad. He's got a law degree. He's been in the mortgage industry for over 20 years, and he is a true mortgage broker. What does that mean? It means he can shop for the best deal at over 80 different lenders and find you the terms that best suit you. Most mortgage guys you talk to won't reveal that they have exactly one size fits all for you and exactly one conduit to get your loan. If you are in these hyper-competitive markets and you're in these markets that are frankly gotten a, less, a lot less friendly to the consumer, you need the best possible person working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. He has our full endorsement. You can reach him at 832-557-1095.